Thank you, Merritt. Praise team. This announcement I was supposed to share earlier and I forgot. If you have a smartphone and you would like, you can get the notes for today's sermon on the smartphone. So go to the church's app. Bruce and I were doing this earlier. <laughs> we were trying to do this earlier. Go to the church's app and uh, click on that. You might need to refresh your page in order to be able to get that. Uh, but we'll be talking about lifestyle discipleship today. We'll be using several different passages to do that. But let me begin by reminding us of what Jesus commanded us to do in what we call the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always. We're to be teaching, we're to be ministering, we're to be making disciples. Two parts of this command from Jesus. First of all, we're to go. And we interpret that usually as meaning for us to evangelize, for us to do missions, for us to reach out, for us to share the gospel. And I believe that's exactly what the scripture is talking about there. And the second part of that command is for us to make disciples. We hear a lot of sermons uh, about evangelism and missions, and that's good. We should. It is a command. We hear a lot of sermons about being disciples, discipling ourselves, growing and learning, and that's good. That's important. We don't hear very many sermons about making disciples. This is a command that God gave to you and me as believers. We are to be making disciples. If we're not, we're not following God's word. We're not following Jesus's command here. And so we need to figure out how to do that better. We need to do that as a congregation, and we need to do that also as individuals, making disciples, pouring our lives into other people and helping them to grow in their faith in the Lord. Usually when we think about making disciples, we think about, well, we've got those services at church. Now they're online, and so it's so convenient. That's going to make disciples. Or we think about programs, and we love programs in Southern Baptist churches, don't we? We have a lot of programs. We have probably as many programs as FDR did during the Great Depression. Uh, we have life groups, we have discipleship classes, we have mission groups, we have graded choirs, and the list goes on and on because we love our programs and we think that those programs are going to disciple people. Sometimes they do, many times they don't. We all know of a lot of individuals who've been in a program for years and years and years in our churches and they're not becoming more like Christ. Well, the whole area is a little difficult for us, is it not? Because when we think about evangelizing, we think we can measure that fairly well. The number of people who became believers, the number of people who walked an aisle, the number of people who got baptized, and we can keep score, and we often do keep score. But when it think, we think about making disciples, it's harder for us to measure that. It's more difficult for us to keep score on whether that person is becoming a disciple. We're making a disciple. Uh, we can have definitions of what a disciple is. We can say that a disciple is someone who shows, displays the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's still a little fuzzy, though, isn't it? Uh, we can say that that person that's a disciple 
uh, lives like Jesus, and that's still a little fuzzy. We can say that person loves God, and that's still a little fuzzy. Did we make that person into the disciple that God commanded us to do? We can also say that discipleship involves what we know, information. It involves uh, what we are like, our character. It involves what we do, obedience. Most of us know if we are becoming more Christ-like in our own walk. And if we get to know a person well enough, we have an idea, but it's still very difficult for us to measure. So let's think a little bit more about what it means to disciple somebody. Let's realize that what we're doing now in and of itself, the services and programs and making disciples, is not adequate. More has to be done. It's a good start, and we need to continue to hone that. In fact, with the different ministers here at the church, we often have discussions about what we are doing in our programs, our ministries. Are they being effective? Are they making disciples or not? And if they aren't, we try to make adjustments or sometimes even scrap what we're doing. So I want us to think about making disciples today. I want us to think about a lifestyle of discipleship and how we can be involved in that and how we can be effective of that individually as well as with our life groups, as well as with the church as a whole, so we can do that well. I believe life's, uh, lifestyle discipleship involves two different aspects. One is for us to minister to individuals who are young Christians, uh, maybe baby Christians, maybe they've just become a believer. How can we help them to grow in their faith? A good passage for us to look at is Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So ministering to somebody else who's a new believer and caring for them, discipling them, helping them to grow. And that is a major aspect of discipleship, what God is calling us to do. Another major aspect of discipleship is for a growing Christian, a mature Christian, to be in uh, fellowship, to be in relationship with other growing, mature Christians and discipling them. A passage that we could look at for that would be Proverbs 21.17. Proverbs 21.17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So we are to be sharpening each other. We are to be spending time together talking about God talking about how he relates in our lives so that we might encourage that growth with one another. These are the two aspects that I want us to look at, to think about this morning as we seek to be the people God has called us to be and to be involved in lifestyle discipleship. The only way for us to do this well is for us to look at the Scripture to see how God talks about discipleship, the examples that we see in the Scripture. Let me give you some examples of discipleship. We have Jethro discipling whom? Moses. Okay, so Jethro, his son-in-law, he was encouraging him, helping him. We see Moses turning around and discipling Joshua. 
Joshua, the next leader of the Israelites, Moses spent time helping him to become the leader that God needed him to be. We see Eli, one of the priests, discipling Samuel, a young lad that was given over to God and uh, to the, um, the temple there. We see Elijah, one of the prophets, discipling Elisha, the next prophet that would be ruling there in that area. We see Paul going along and discipling many people, including Timothy and Titus, two young preacher boys, took him under their wings so that he might be able to minister to them, to care for them, to help them to become the men that God needed them to be. And then we see, of course, Jesus discipling the apostles, pulling them aside and ministering in their lives. We see other examples of Paul where he dealt with individuals who were not uh, way below him spiritually, but were on an equal level with him. Paul discipling Barnabas, Barnabas discipling Paul, and Paul discipling Peter and vice versa. So we have many, many examples throughout the Scripture of how we can, should, must, we're commanded to be disciple makers ourselves. It's important for us to grow spiritually. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But primarily at this point, let's think about how we turn around and we disciple other people. Our example for all of these next passages will be Jesus, how he lived his life, how he discipled, how he challenges us to be disciple makers also. And we'll do it through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So we'll look at several different passages there in Luke. Instead of just one long passage, we'll look at several thinking about making disciples, lifestyle discipleship, what that means. First of all, lifestyle discipleship involves relationships. That seems pretty easy, doesn't it? It involves us getting to know people, love them, becoming friends with them, spending time with them, caring for them, getting to know them personally. Jesus was always with people. He was teaching, he was healing, he was ministering, he was having fun, he was eating with them, he was at parties with them, he was at funerals with them. Jesus spent his time with people. That was his priority. We look at John the Baptist, contemporary of Jesus. He went out into the wilderness and many times was getting away from people. And Jesus was getting to people. He was running to people. That's the example that you and I need to emulate. We need to be running to people, caring for them. It's very easy, though, for many of us to say, that's not my personality. You know, I like to be alone. Uh, there's a TV reality show on history now called Alone. And you got 10 contestants, and they drop them off in the wilderness, and uh, they stay by themselves for as long as they can. The last person standing gets a big prize. For some of us, we think, you know, we'd be real good contestants on that show alone. You know, I do real well by myself. And even if I don't get the prize at the end, just by being by myself all that length of time, that would be a great thing. You know, that'd be fun to be there by myself and not to have all the cares of the world. The problem is with that TV show, this year they've dropped them off in the Arctic and uh, they have to provide their own shelter and their own food. So and it's not only being alone, it's also providing those other things. Even if you think you would be a good contestant on the show alone, guess what? 
you and I are commanded to make disciples. It's not optional. Many times God has to have a little talk with me, and I sort of got it down now. It goes sort of like this. You know, you can't be alone. you got to spend time with people. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter that maybe I'm not so gifted at that. God is going to work with me and make me better at ministering to people, at loving people, spending time with them. So it's not an option. So God says something like, you know, get over it. You know, grow up. Be an adult. Do what you're supposed to do. Stop whining. Things like that. And God has to tell me that from time to time. And that may be your personality. And it's okay if that's your personality, but you don't stop there. You go out and you spend time with people. You build those relationships. You love people. You minister to them so that you can disciple them. Why? Because you're commanded to do that. That's what God has told you to do. And he'll use your personality in unique ways and ways of be able to relate to some people that somebody else cannot relate to. We must be involved in relationships if we're going to be making disciples as God has commanded us to do. We need to start with the present relationships that we already have, and then we build on additional relationships. We seek out people. My wife, Norma Jean, is a great example of this. People seek her out, it seems like. We're flying back from wherever on the plane, and she's made 50 new friends. And I have a hard time to get the flight attendant even talk to me, you know. And so it's just her personality. She does it so well. But I've watched her, and I've learned from her, and I've also remembered that God has told us this is what we're to do. We're to build those relationships. We're to love people. We're to care for them. And then to use those relationships to make disciples. Secondly, lifestyle discipleship involves not only relationships, but intentionality. We're purposely using those relationships to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to pour our lives into other people. Now, sometimes we're not real successful. Sometimes we get shut down quickly in that building of that relationship or seeking to make that relationship a a godly conversation, and that's okay. We just continue on, and we find other people with whom that we can love and we can share with and we can pour our lives into. We're intentional about it. We just don't just don't happenstance. We just don't go around, and if if we make friends, good. If we don't make friends, good. If we make friends, then we don't take it anywhere talking about God, but we take it to the next level. Jesus had many, many relationships. It was interesting. He could go to a well and start talking to a lady. You weren't supposed to talk to ladies back then that you weren't related to. Talking to a lady and talking to her about God. He he had many, many relationships. And some of the relationships he had were even formal relationships. So whether it's a formal or an informal one, we should use it to make disciples. If you look at Luke chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, we have an example here of Jesus making a formal relationship so that he could make disciples. And it says, And so also were James and John. These are two of the disciples Jesus is calling out. The sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. That's Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching what? Men. Not only bringing them into the kingdom, but also discipling those individuals. And when they had been brought uh, their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
So Jesus formally made a covenant with these individuals. If he had done it today, there would have been something signed, I'm sure. Back then, there wasn't. But he formally made a pact with them that they were to leave everything they had to follow him, to go with him from place to place, to live their lives with him. It turned out for three years, and there Jesus would disciple them in that process and turn around and make them disciple makers as well. Some of us are good at making relationships but then we don't take those relationships to the next level. We don't talk about God. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't pour our lives into those individuals in a spiritual way. And so we fail if that's all we do. They can be formal relationships or informal relationships. In our church, several examples of relationships that are used to make disciples would be in our college ministry. Our college ministry has individuals getting together in small groups called huddles, and they hold one another accountable, and they speak with each other each week, and they minister to one another. They read scripture together. They pour their lives into one another. Our men's mentoring program that the elders lead are something very similar to that, where men are called out, an elder will have eight to ten men that he will work with, work with, on a continual basis, week after week, helping those individuals to grow, to be discipled as God has commanded us to do that. And we do that in many other ways. So what I'm saying is those programs that we have, those life groups are good, but if it's not a personal relationship, either by the leader and the individuals in there or by other individuals and other individuals getting together, loving each other, spending time together, intentionally talking about God and how God intersects with our lives, then we're probably not going to be effective in making disciples as we should. Let me give you a couple of church members that are really good examples for me at making disciples. And they have helped me as I've observed them so that I might do this better. Lonnie and Wanda Rushing, uh, not able to be here because of COVID-19, but they're very active members of our congregation. And for years and years and years, continuing today, they've been making disciples. Our daughter was 15 years old, Julie. And her first real job was working for Lonnie and Wanda dipping ice cream. She got strong doing that. But Lonnie and Wanda purposely took her aside, and I'm pretty sure every other worker that they had, every other employee that they had, and built a relationship with her, got to know her, to love her, to care for her, and to talk to her about Jesus Christ. I'm eternally grateful internally in the debt of Lonnie and Wanda because of what they did for my daughter when she was 15 years old, caring for her. They didn't just become friends with her. They talked to her about Jesus. They helped her to grow. They could have easily just done their jobs, but in addition to doing their jobs, as they were doing their jobs, they became close to her and helped her and helped her to love God's word more and to help come alongside Norma Jean and I as we raised our daughter, helping her to know about God and God's love. Another example is Casey Stevens. Casey's here this morning. Casey coaches boys baseball. Now, he loves baseball, but the reason he does it is not because of baseball. 
He does it because it gives him an opportunity to get to know more people, to love them, to care for them, to share with them about Christ, the go ye, therefore, but also then to disciple them and disciple their family. Casey, thank you for doing that. That makes an impact. You're purposely using relationships and making more relationships to intentionally bring people to Christ and to help them to grow in that Christ-likeness. That's an example that we all need to follow. My third and last example is Jerry Ray. Jerry Ray is here this morning. She's one of our senior adult ladies. For years, she has purposely built relationships with some of our college women and so that she could love on them and care for them and minister to them. She doesn't teach their Sunday school class, but she gets to know them and love them and has them over to her house, spends time with them so that she can then talk to them about God and Jesus. Intentional discipleship. That's what God has called us to do. We have to have the relationships, then we have to take them further, intentionally using them to make an impact on other people's lives. The third uh, point here that lifestyle and uh, discipleship involves is the Bible. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been in many Bible studies where it seems like we're there 15, 20, 30 minutes, and we haven't talked about the Bible yet. Same thing with relationships. There's many relationships you and I have with people, and we call them discipleship relationships, and we didn't talk about the Bible. We talked about everything else. We must be talking about the Bible. An example here in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44 reads, And when it was day, he, meaning Jesus, departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him out and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news. I must talk about the Bible. I must teach the Bible. I must preach the Bible of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You and I, as we build these relationships with people, we intentionally talk about God and Jesus. Then we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to help them to see the Bible intersects their lives. The Bible helps them to understand how to live their lives in a God-honoring, a God-fearing way. It's more than just friendship. If it's only friendship, that's okay, but that's not what we're talking about. We've missed the mark. We must be making disciples. In chapters 5 and 6 of Luke, there are several passages here that tell us other ways that Jesus used the Bible. talks about fasting. He's answering questions, and he goes to the Scripture and helps them to understand what the Scripture says about fasting. And then in chapter 6, he talks about Shabbat. He talks about their holy day, the Sabbath, and what it means, and what is right, and what is not right. He uses the Scripture and helps them to understand how they should live their lives. As we think about making disciples, lifestyle, uh, lifestyle discipleship, it involves our relationships, it involves our intentionality, involves the Bible, but it also involves us challenging people, challenging people to do more. If you and I are in a relationship with people and we never challenge them, to grow, to do more than they're doing, or to call them out when they're sinning, then we've missed the mark. We've missed what God has called us to do in discipling other people because there will be the necessity opportunities for us to challenge people. In Luke 9, verses 1 through 6, we read, 
And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he sends out the disciples for a specific purpose. Now, some of the disciples were probably like you and I. Well, no, I think I'll just stay back here and I'll take, take the report. I'll take the report. I'll, I'll do what's needed here. I'll do the paperwork. I don't really want to go out there and knock on doors and tell people about God and God's kingdom. I don't really want to do that healing thing. That seems dangerous. It seems difficult. And Jesus said to them, Take nothing on your journey, no staff or bag or bread or money, and do not have two tunics. For whatever house you enter, stay there, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, you leave that town and shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everyone. So here, Jesus took his disciples, those that he was making into disciples, and he challenged them. He gave them assignment. He gave them something that was difficult to do, something that I'm sure some of them did not want to do. If you and I are in that relationship, discipling somebody, we will from time to time challenge them. Step up. Step up. Do that. Challenge them. Encourage them. Hold them accountable. In chapter 10 of Luke, we see Jesus doing the same thing, not only just with the disciples, but sending out 72, 72 followers to go out there and to proclaim the kingdom. And then in chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus talking to the people. Now the great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, even his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. That's a good way to win friends and influence people, right? <laughs> Tell them it's going to be hard. Tell them that there's work to do. Tell them that they're going to have to sacrifice. If you and I are discipling people, we're going to be challenging them. We're going to be encouraging them. We're going to be holding them to a high standard so that they might grow. Be sure that that's part of your disciple-making process. Don't just try to make it easy for somebody. The fifth thing that we see that uh, lifestyle discipleship involves is example. We will be an example to the people to whom we minister. We will be there. They will see us. There's no way for us to avoid that. They're going to see who we are warts and all, and we'll talk about that in the last point. We'll be an example. Jesus spent time with the disciples. He was teaching. He was healing. He was modeling. He was giving a prayer. Uh, he was praying all night, and they were with him. They saw that. And then in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 24, we read about the storm. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. This is the uh, lake of um, the Sea of Galilee. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water, and they were in danger. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And it was calm. Here, Jesus walked with the people, lived with the people, cared for the people. There was no way for him not to be an example in everything he did. If we're discipling people, there'll be at least a point 
and that discipleship process when they'll be so close to us, they'll know everything that's going on in our lives, and they'll see that we will be an example in every way, and we must do that. And lastly, there'll be vulnerability. We'll be vulnerable. You and I will be vulnerable because we'll be examples. People will be looking at our lives, and they'll seeing that we're not exactly who we said we want to be or we should be. They'll see our sins. They'll see our problems. They didn't see that with Jesus because he had no sins. But we will be vulnerable in that way. But we'll also be vulnerable in a way that Jesus was vulnerable. As he did what was right and righteous, people pushed away from him. People disliked him. Some people even hated him, and that will happen to us from time to time. When we're doing what's right and righteous, people will push away from us. Jesus, it seemed like everywhere he went, even though he was doing only good and speaking only for God, made enemies. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Seems like, how in the world could he make enemies? They should be flocking to him. They should be running to him. They should appreciate what he has to say. But often he made enemies. He made enemies of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, the Roman authorities, just about everybody were rejecting Jesus because of what he was doing. And from time to time, that's going to happen to us also. He was teaching. They rejected that. He was healing. Sometimes on the Sabbath, they rejected that. He was loving the unlovable. They rejected that. He was touching the sick. He was helping the poor. He was spending time with Zacchaeus, that tax collector. He was rejected because of all these things he did. He was spending time with crazy people out in cemeteries who had demons in them. That's who Jesus was. If you and I are going to be like Jesus, and I hope we will, there'll be times that people are going to reject us because of what we've done. Jesus, you see, came into the world as the suffering servant, and he was rejected by most because they wanted a warrior. He came to be the Messiah, and they rejected him because they wanted an earthly king. He came to be the Lamb of God, and he was rejected because they wanted a conqueror. He came to be the Son of Man, and he was rejected because they wanted somebody strong. He came to be the great I Am, and was the great I Am. And many people rejected him because they wanted a different God. People wanted the earthly, and today they want the earthly. And Jesus is giving us the eternal, and he's calling us to the eternal. Jesus' ultimate rejection was the crucifixion. In Luke 23, beginning verse 44, we read, And now it was the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. If you and I do what God has called us to do, we will be rejected at times. We will certainly be vulnerable in both ways, always. God has called us to make disciples. A lot of times we don't even think about that. We don't think what that involves. We don't think about doing that through our life groups. We don't think about doing that through our lives. And I challenge you, I encourage you to man up, to woman up, 
to do what God has called you to do, to start making disciples. It's not optional. It is a command by God. Steps, three steps I want to give you in conclusion. First of all, commit yourself to get in the game. Say, yeah, I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start taking baby steps and start making disciples. Number two, I'm going to grow spiritually. I'm going to grow myself so that I can be more effective in making disciples. And number three, pray for opportunities. Pray for people to whom you can share, that you can love, that you can disciple, whether they're young Christians or whether they're strong, maturing Christians. Spend time with them. Talk about important things. Talk about Scripture. Become vulnerable. Be an example so that you can make disciples. Let us pray. Our Father, you are marvelous, you're great, you're loving. Lord, forgive us for the times that we walk through life and we don't think about what you're calling us to do. We don't take seriously the commands to make disciples. Lord, help us to do better. Help us to commit, to be involved, to get in the game, to grow spiritually, to allow you to give us opportunities. Lord, we want to follow you we want to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for the relationship you've given us. Help us to serve you effectively. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.